Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can get to me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And my name is Michael Gallagher. I'm the sports reporter for the Nashville Post and the Nashville Scene. You can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. And what other Nashville Predators podcast should folks be listening to? Oh, yeah. I'm right. Michael Gallagher. Yes, I also uh, co-host the uh, It's All Your Fault with Megan Sealing. That is the the podcast that we do at the Post in the Scene that is now joined forces with 440 Sports to bring you the best Predators coverage in the city. There you have it. So make sure you check out the Post in the Scene. It's all your fault, as well as the Gold Standard. Rate, review, subscribe to all those great products. On the show today, we thought we would be, you know, we're in the middle of like the dead part of the offseason here, Michael. So I thought we'd have a little fun and sort of jump in a time machine and move, move forward to 2026. And if you stare at the contract multi-year chart long enough for the Predators, you can see how critical the next four seasons are going to be for this organization. There's a lot of names that are going to be gone by the start of the 2026 season, 26, 27, I should, I should say. So five years out, what does this organization look like? And today on the show, we are going to go through the front office, the coaching staff, every position group, the goalies, the forwards, and the defensemen. And we are going to try to project what this team could look like in five years from now, which is totally a fool's errand, Michael. But I think it's going to also be a lot of fun. I learned a lot preparing for this, just about where this organization is heading and some major questions that I think they're going to have for this team in the next few years. Uh, We're also going to talk a little bit about what this team's legacy could look like over the next four years as well. So we'll do a lot of that here on the show. So a lot of fun stuff. A lot of prognostication and, you know, hypothesis and looking forward to the future. So I'm excited. Uh, it's going to be a fun show. we got a lot planned for you. However, before we do that, the gold standard partnered with the scene in the post is brought to you by the wonderful folks at Jaspers. That is correct. You have yet to screw that up, Gallagher. I appreciate it's, it's that. One word. It's very, very simple. So I really hope I don't screw it up. Um, have you ever have you ever thought in your life that you'd have you'd be hosting a show that has a beverage named after it. Is that something that you, that is like a crowning achievement of your journalistic career, Michael Gallagher? Honestly, it is, but I'm still, anytime I think of Jasper's now based off of last week's episode, my mind immediately goes to fajita bar. Uh, fajita bars are spectacular. There's no bad time to have a fajita bar. Steve Cavendish uh, also agrees uh, from lamestream sports. He was, he's very pro fajita bar. In fact, I think you could run for office and be elected on just a pro fajita bar platform and nothing else. Oh, absolutely. Just fajita bars. Um, and of course, this, the, the cocktail is the gold standard named after this podcast. So go check it out. When you go to Jasper's, you got lots of watch party stuff going on. You got uh, free parking. The menu's phenomenal. The game room is great. All kinds of great stuff going on over there at Jasper. So make sure you check that out. Now, this is going to be the running bit that we've discovered on the show, which is, have you and the missus gone to Jasper's yet? <laughs> Not yet. All right. We're, at we're some point. Like a month or two into this, but we're we're lagging on a little bit, but we <laughs> Both busy with work. We we rarely have time to actually get out and do stuff, but I promise we will sometime in the next month check going to Jasper's offer list. If I so the fajita bar is part of the tailgate thing that they can do where they'll well you can buy you can order a package and they'll send you stuff like to your tailgate party or to your house or whatever. Um if I sent you a package of food for twelve people, would would you <laughs> how does that go over with the missus? <laughs> Uh, we would invite 10 friends over and have a fire in the backyard and oh there we go wolf down a fajita bar there you go everybody likes to wolf down a fajita bar and of course our other title sponsor our other great sponsor here on the podcast brought to you by let's see if you can do this one michael 
Weiss Liquors. There you go. Look at that. So easy. Uh, Uber Eats, check out Weiss Liquors. Search them. They'll deliver booze right to your house in approximately 20 minutes. Locally owned in this market, in this Nashville, by a family from Nashville for almost 100 years. 1932 in the neighborhood I live in, in the neighborhood you live in. So go check out Weiss Liquors. Uber Eats, the booze right to your house. They do the driving so you can do the drinking. And of course, if you pop into Weiss Liquors, and you order and you buy some booze, just say 440 to them at the ca- at the checkout counter there, and they'll give you 10% off. So that is tax-free booze. Weiss Liquors and Jasper's coming together uh, to bring this podcast to you. So we really appreciate their support. Okay. I will so, say that this comes easy to me because when I was an undergrad, I did take some advertising classes, and I was my senior year named uh, the whatever it was, the brightest student in advertising. So. So, so you think you're doing a really bang up job so far is what you no, think by, not, by having not, by having not gone to Jasper's. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we'll I, I love the, I just, I just don't use the products. So I'm, I, I'm I love the, uh, I love the confidence and perhaps a little hubris. It's fine. It's fine on the show. Um, all right. So I, I'm, I'm actually, I got into this exercise to prepare for the show and I actually had way more fun diving into this and like tracking out how old players are going to be and what they're going to so look like. I. And so I had a lot of fun with this. So I hope everybody enjoys the show again, share the product, tell everybody about it. But I have two questions for you that I did. I told you I wasn't going to tell you before the show started. And so I have, I want to ask these two questions in general. They're sort of philosophical questions. Uh, one about hockey in general and one about this team specifically before we get into the details of what we think this team could look like in five years going into the 2026, 27 season. Number one, Michael, do you believe in windows? Is is that a thing that you subscribe to as a hockey person, expert, reporter, fan? Do you believe teams have windows? That's a tough question to answer. I, I guess I guess yes would be the answer. Because if you build your core, like a lot of these teams do, and you have all these players coming up together, they're around the same age. If, you, if all your players are between 22 and 24, like the Avalanche, all your young players you're drafting, you, you really you realistically have a window to maximize their talent and then go and win your cups with that core. You're not going to I mean, you can, but you're probably not going to be able to go out and six years from now still have as good of a team as you have when everyone's right now in their prime. So I, I, I believe in windows, but also windows can be changed by going out and making a Shea Weber for P.K. Subban trade by having a, a goalie play as good as UC Saros did over you know, the last year or so, like it could be, it could be changed a lot, but yes, I guess I would say I I believe in them. So my argument against windows would be the St. Louis blues, but I do think you're right. Cause again, the blues were in last place with a rookie goaltender and fired their coach in January and then went on to win a cup. So like no one would have argued they would have been in a window. That's obviously an extreme circumstance. Um, I I think, I think you're, I think the right, (laughs) I'm watching a lot of home renovation projects with my daughters. Now they're getting into home reno like TV shows, like uh, the the five and the four-year-old, which is, which is cool. Um, But I think you're right that it's like, it's a window that can be renovated very quickly. Like you, you could have a, you could have a nice bay window. You could shrink it. You could, you could double it in size. It can close really fast. It can open really fast. I think you, I, I think that the Preds certainly have, and this is part of the reason we wanted to do this exercise was that they clearly have, a lot of turnover coming in the next three to four seasons. And so if you're talking about the core with Ryan Johansson and Mikhail Granlin and Matt Duchesne and Colton Sissons and Matthias Echol and pieces that have been here for a long time and, 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 and still have a couple more years left, there is technically a quote-unquote window with those particular players. Now, I don't think your championship window ever opens or closes per se, but I do think your period of time with which these players 
have a chance to win a championship for the fans. You are right in the middle of it right now with a couple of more years to do this. And I think that's probably, I don't know about you, I think that's probably what is pushing David Poyle to 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 not blow it all up is that he still thinks that these guys can compete at the highest level. Yeah, and I mean, we saw that in 2016, 2017. They made the cup final run. They won the President's Trophy. Everyone was saying this is their window with this core. We thought it would probably be four or five years at most, and we're at the tail end of that window now, which is why Ryan Ellis is no longer here. Victor Arvidsson is no longer here. Kelly Yarncroke is no longer here. Pecorino retired. Can't really help that. But the core of what got you to – Kevin Fiala got traded. I mean, the the core of what got you to those two really good years, P.K. Subban's gone. I mean, the core of what got you to those really two, those two really good years, most of them are no longer here. So now I think you're kind of, the Predators are kind of gearing up for another quote unquote window. And I think the Ryan McDonough trade kind of puts a really good timestamp on it. He's got four more years left on his contract. And I think that's, that's the next window this team has because as we're about to find out with the players and stuff, when it's 2026, a lot of them are going to be gone. A lot of them are going to be mid to late uh, 30s going into their 40s. It's it's This team is going to look drastically different, I, in my opinion, in 2026. Yeah. Uh, don't forget about Freddie Goudreau, by the way. Just don't, don't forget about him. Otis Aberg. And, 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 and Ryan Hartman. Don't forget about him. Uh, all guys that went on to have great careers. Pontus, yeah, they all went on to have great careers at Minnesota. Um, okay. Uh, the second question is based on like sort of – Kickstarting us into this conversation because again, Ryan Johansson will be 32 when his contract comes off the books at the end of the 25 season. Granlin will be 32 at the end of the 25 season. And then you have Duchesne, Sissons, McDonough, Eckholm, and I guess I'll throw in Jeremy Luzon off the books and after the 26 season. Duchesne will be 35, Sissons will be 32, McDonough will be 36, Eckholm will be 35, Lozano will be 28, so they could bring him back. Soros' contract runs out at the end of the 25 season, so three more years. He'll be 29. So to your point, there's no chance that all those guys are coming back or getting re-signed. In fact, there's a very small percentage that any of them are re-signed at the end of those contracts. Maybe Soros if Askarov is not a guy. But other than that, I mean, there's probably not one of those players that could be coming back. So my question is, at that time, jumping forward to, to this period of time heading into the 2026 fall season, what is the legacy of that era going to be? What, what are we going to look back on that group of players, that core that we're talking about, yes, it's got a slightly different group now with McDonough and maybe even Duchesne. What, what is it? How is it you think we are going to define that era of Predators hockey in four years? Honestly, I, I feel like most fans are going to remember that era as the years that David Poyle probably shouldn't have been in charge. I mean, you look at Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson with $8 million contracts, McDonough now with uh, was it six and a half million? Yossi with nine million. Ekholm with six point two five million. Forsberg eight and a half million. I mean, there's there's a lot of inflated contracts that are on that are on this roster, and, and that money could you could argue that money could be better spent somewhere else on other younger players. You could argue that money could could go out and land you one big player that you really need that high impact scoring for they really haven't had. So I I, I just I feel like obviously Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson both bounced back last year. But I think had that not happened and they had repeated seasons that they had the year before, 
this would it would be a lot worse situation right now because those two those two contracts in particular are really handicapping what the predators can do financially. You have to worry about the Shea Weber cap recapture stuff going on. You're still paying Kyle Turris two million a year. I think that's going on until 2028. So I think just a, a bad mismanagement of financials from David Poyle is what I think this era will, will mostly be remembered by. What what if they get what if they make the playoffs four more straight years and that gives them what like 11 straight years of making the playoffs something like that. Maybe they get to one conference final, maybe two conference finals, or I'll, I'll give you two conference finals and one cup final. Like, again, I'm not saying they win a championship, but they have successful seasons. They're a competitive hockey team. They make the playoffs every year. They give the fans a, a couple of good series, maybe two or three on any given year. Does that, I agree with your sort of basic assessment that like the, the money didn't work. <laughs> like they signed all these big contracts and it didn't give them a championship. But is there, there's got to be more nuance to that, right? Like there has to be a little bit of 11 straight years of playoff hockey. And, you know, I get, again, I know fans don't want to hear sort of like <laughs> hedging, hedging here, but like, I do think there has to be some nuance in the conversation. Three years ago, I would have agreed with you, but now Predators fans have become so fickle that anything short of a Stanley Cup final appearance is unacceptable to them, which is crazy considering that until 2016, 2017, they they were lucky to even try to get to a conference final. Um, so I, I think it's kind of, I, I understand your point. If they, if they make it, if they get to a conference final and then make a Stanley Cup final over the next four years, I think that kind of lessens the the extremity of what I was saying about how fans were all over David Poyle. But if, if, if it's just four straight playoff seasons and they're out in the first round or in the second, if they don't make it past the second round in any of the next four seasons, yeah, I, I think that's ultimately the determining factor because fans aren't just okay with making the playoffs now. They've made the playoffs for, what, seven straight seasons now, and it's yep. it's the novelty of just being a playoff team has kind of wore off. That was acceptable in 2012, 2013, but but present day, it's not. I, I tend to agree. I think you need at least one conference final, if not two. And I think one trip to the Stanley Cup final would justify keeping David Poyle, keep hiring John Hines, and, and, and executing the plan that he's executed over the last two years. I think if they get to one Stanley Cup final or two conference finals, I think that's where you can say, okay, that, that was a successful run of Predators hockey. We didn't get the ring. We didn't get the banner of the championship that we wanted. But it was still extremely successful. And I, yeah. again, sitting sitting right now looking forward to the next four years, if you tell me they go to the conference finals twice in the next four years, I'd probably say, okay, I'll take my chances with that seven-game series with, with you know whoever they're going to be facing, probably like the, the Kings or something, <laughs> you know, like yeah. down the road. Um, okay, I just wanted to get those two questions out of the way. I know that was maybe a little bit longer than we thought, but I wanted to get those two questions out of the way before we jump forward now. Uh, and as I said, Johansson, Granlin, Duchesne, Sissons, McDonough, Ekholm, Saros. We are assuming every one of those pieces is gone. Every one of them uh, in the next three to four years. So again, 32, 32, 35, 32, 36, 38 years old, 29 for Saros. All of them are gone, let's say, right? Well, also so, just because the contract expires doesn't mean they won't be here. They could be potentially re-signed. Okay, which I don't see any chance that the 35 and 36-year-olds are re-signed. McDonough, Ekholm, Duchesne. I can't see Johansson being re-signed. Um, at 32, although at 32 and a year younger and a year earlier in the process, and we're going to get to this when we talk about the forwards, their desperate need for a top line centerman um, yeah. on, in their in their system here. I, I could see you, I could uh, see Johansson. I agree with you on all of those except for Ekholm. Ekholm will be 36, but also that same year Roman Yossi will be 36. And I think with defensemen, especially in this system, with the way the Predators run things, 
36 is probably equivalent to like 30, 31. Like I, I still think Roman Yossi will be not at the level he is now, but I think he'll still be a very good top pairing defenseman. I think Ekholm will probably be a step below where he is now, but I still think he'll be a very good second pairing defenseman. So I could, I could see them re-signing Ekholm. Well, and everything is contingent on price. If Ryan Johansson wants to come back at $4 million, then sure, maybe you give him a two-year, $8 million contract, like the way Nito Niederreiter signed a contract like that. Maybe that's what you do. Um, Sissons to be 32. I could see them bringing him back because of the role he plays. But but again, that that's that's a replaceable piece. I love Colton Sissons, but I think that's a replaceable piece. Maybe Granlin. Maybe at thirty-two. Maybe, I mean, if he's yeah. if he if he's your top line center or second line center, I could see them bringing one of those two guys back. Frankly, the Sissons one is interesting. We can get in this when we go position by position. But I think I think that I'll tease this. I think the Predators have a similar player in their in their pipeline right now who could potentially be a little bit better offensively that could fill in on the, on that line and play that role. I know where you're going with this because my problem is I think they have three of them and none of them are Ryan Johansson. <laughs> so so I, I think I know where you're going with that, but I and I agree with what you're saying. So we'll get to the forward. I don't here. think you're going to like my my potential top line for 2026. I'll Uh-oh. just say that because I, I got I got into the weeds with this. I did I did too, and I started my and there's one big glaring giant hole, and so we'll get we'll get to that. Um, all right, head coach in, in front office. I I find it hard to believe. And we don't have to talk about this too long. I find it hard to believe that entering the 2026 season that David Poyle and John Hines are still in the roles that they're in. Not because John Hines isn't good, not because David Poyle isn't good, but because I think it will be time for a change by that at that point. Unless John Hines, again, goes to a cup final and goes to another conference final and all of a sudden he's got five straight playoff appearances and he shows us that he can win in the playoffs, which is his, which has been his problem. He's a great developer. Three and 14 record in the playoffs. And and, uh, to me, and and purely like not even like personal opinion, just like statistically speaking, the odds of David Poyle and John Hines being in the same roles five years from now is virtually none in my opinion. And that's a scientific uh, fact right there. That's not even like an opinion. David Poyle will be what? 76. He's knocking on the door of 80 and I, and I'm not, Hating, I'm not being ageist here, but when you get to be that old, I don't think you're gonna. I don't think David Poyle at 76 is gonna be as sharp as he was at 66. So it's not even that. It's just like people are ready for him to move on now. It's probably time for some fresh blood now. Yes. We'll give you. We'll give you this chance. But like again, this is Heinz and Poyle's chance. If they win a cup, that changes. They they probably have carte blanche to stay as long as they want, but. Or if they, if especially with Poyle, if he wins a cup, he might just ride off into the sunset because he's tired of the fans hating on him for not winning a cup. I, I would, I mean, why would you not? Like you've done, you've done exactly. this for for thirty eight years or whatever. The, the good um, thing that, is my short list of GM candidates, Brian Poyle is not on it. So, <laughs> well, I don't have a list per se of who's going to be in charge. My prediction is they will have a different general manager and a different head coach heading into the 2026-27 season. That, that's, that's my prediction. For all of them, so I can, I can right, let's, hear, let's hear what you got. So for the coach, I don't think it's going to be John Hines. And, and my reasoning for that is, look, Peter Laviolette got fired into his sixth year with this team. Peter Laviolette won this team. It's first one at the President's Trophy, the first two uh, division championships, the first conference final appearance, the first Stanley Cup final appearance. It's a lot of success in a six-year window. He still got fired because it started to go sour. I don't think John Hines is as good of a coach as Peter Laviolette is. Therefore, I don't see John Hines, John Hines having that kind of success by the time 2026 rolls around. Therefore, I think it will be time for a regime change. And I think usually, typically in sports, we see new head coach, new GM. They usually get hired together because that's how things are done. So 
if they go internal and they promote from within, if Carl Taylor is still around, I think he would be an excellent choice to fill that role. However, I think Carl Taylor, Carl Taylor will probably have a head coaching job before that happens. The wild card, long shot, whatever you want to call it, could be Barry Trotz, but I just don't think in four years he's going to be – I. I could see him getting back into coaching, but I don't. I don't think he's going to be available in four years. So we could we can kind of get that out of the way. The names that I would look for, and these are all kind of young up and comers. They've been on the radar for a lot of teams. A lot of these guys have interviewed with other teams. Are Ricard Gronberg? He is the current head coach of the ZSC Lions. He coached Team Sweden to gold in the 2017-2018 World Championship. He's also coached Philip Forsberg in the past, as well as other players like Eric Carlson, Victor Hedman. And he'll only be 57 in 2026. Still a young enough coach, a lot of experience, a lot of international experience. I think he would be a really good fit there. I know he's someone that, for another show, Jeremy K. Gover is really high on as well. Also look at Nate Lehman. He's the current head coach of Providence College. He's at Providence. Haven't really heard of Providence, but they won. Where was it? They've been to two Frozen Four, six NCAA tournaments, and they won a national title. And he has won 61% of his games at Providence. <laughs> that, look at that, you that, throwing uh, out, look at you throwing out col- college hockey stats. I like that. Hey, I, I watch a lot of college. It got started with Dante Fabro and David Ferentz and, and uh, Patrick Harper when they were at BU, and I started watching college hockey ever since then. But C-A-W-L, college. Yes. <laughs> Another guy who's interesting, if he's, if he's still an assistant and hasn't locked down a head coaching job by then, which I think he probably will, is Spencer Carberry. He coached the Hershey Bears before getting an assistant head coaching job with the Maple Leafs this season, last season. Um, in his eight years in the AHL, he had one season below 500. He's also been named the coach of the year at the ECHL and the AHL level. I think it's only a matter of time before he gets an NHL head coaching job. And the last guy I'd look at, at, it's a Finnish head coach. I don't know how to say his name. I'll probably butcher it. Yuka Yalanen. So he's a Finnish head coach. He led Finland to gold in the 2022 Olympics, the 2011, 2019, and 2022 IIHF World Championship. He won silver with Team Sweden in the 2021 World Championships. I think he's someone who could probably come in. I think he's got a different kind of coaching style that I think would be good if you're if you're kind of going with a regime change. So those are four guys that I would look at. If if I'm in charge and I'm picking out of those guys, honestly, I would probably go with Ricard Gronberg. All right, first of all, round of applause for Michael Gallagher. Because Projecting coaching searches one year away is virtually impossible. Projecting coaching searches four and a half years away is complete insanity. So I applaud you for that performance right there. Now give me the four names again, because that was a, what, a Finnish national coach, a Swedish national coach, an AAL, AHL coach, and a college coach. Is that correct? And Carl Taylor? Is that, is that, is that, exa- is that what I'm, is that what I'm remembering? Yes, so Ricard Gromberg, <laughs> Nate Lehman, Spencer Carberry, and Yuka Yellonen. That was tremendous, dude. I have zero names written down. <laughs> that was that was incredible. I'm super proud of you, and I can't believe we just did that for for Predators fans. If you can do the same thing for the general manager office, I'm gonna I'm just gonna let you do the rest of the show. Well, I I have that right in front of me too. What's <laughs> funny is I was telling you off air. I was sitting in the press box sometime last season and I was just sitting like, this is going South. John Hines isn't going to be around. David Poyle is not going to be around. So I went through and kind of did this exercise probably six months ago. And I had this document saved and I was like, Hey, this is most of these guys are still in play right now. So why, why not? <laughs> All right. Give me the, give me the GM names. All right. So 
if they promote from within, I do not think Brian Poyle is the guy, nor should he be the guy. And I, I hate that his last name is Poyle because I think he could be a fine GM on another NHL team, just not the Predators. So if they promote from within, the guy that I'm looking at is Scott Nickel. He's currently the assistant general manager. He's also the general manager of the Milwaukee Admirals and the director of player development. I think he would probably be number one on their list should David Poyle step aside. Two other guys that I, I kind of researching this that I feel like could do a good job. One of whom is Ray Shero. He was an assistant head coach or no assistant GM for the Predators from 98 to 2006. He was also GM of the Penguins and the Devils. He won a Stanley Cup in 08 with the Penguins. He brought them to the cup final the year before. Um, he also, while he was, I know the Devils tenure didn't go very well, but he also did pull off the Taylor Hall for Adam Larson trade, which looked really good after that trade happened and and whatnot. So I think Ray Shero is someone who has ties to the organization. It would make some sense. Okay. You know, the only problem is how bad it ended in New Jersey. And then yeah, the last yeah. guy is Matthew Darsh. He's the Lightning's director of hockey ops. He was a finalist for the GM jobs this year in Montreal and Vancouver. And he's someone who just talking to scouts and just reading stories and stuff is someone who is rising. He quickly rising through the ranks. And it, it's, it's almost just assumed it's not long before he gets an actual GM job. So he's someone that I would look at as well. But those are three guys that I think could be in play four years from now. Darsh might have a, have a GM job, but Ray Shero and Scott Nickel probably would be in consideration if David Boyle yep. left. And, and let's be very clear about the timing on all of this. There's a, it's a better chance than not that this stuff doesn't happen in four years, that it probably happens in two years. Right. So let's, oh, it, for sure. let, let's be very clear that David Poyle, this could be David Poyle's last season. Like I, I don't think it's John Hines last season. I think you change the GM first, like every normal, you know, professional sports entity or college athletic department, you fire the, you change the AD first before you, and then you let that person conduct the new coaching search. Um, so when I don't I think was that doing this exercise in my, when I was doing this, I had in mind that this, they would actually, these hires would be made in 2025. No, oh, there you go. There you have it. I, I, I could not do anything better and add anything to that. So I'm going to move on to the goaltenders. Uh, give everybody those names again, Scott Nickel, Ray Shero, who, who else? And Matthew Darsh, the Matthew Darsh. director of Hockey Ops. There you go. All right, so check out those names. Keep an eye on them. And hold those receipts, Michael Gallagher, because if one of those coaches or GMs gets named as that role for the Predators, you will have been first by a mile. So, oh, yes. And so if I'm got... wrong, there will, there will be some Joe Schmo out there on Twitter that will nope. let me know. Nope, nobody cares. Uh, nobody cares if you're wrong anymore in sports media. It's not a thing that matters. Uh, although we did catch some heat from for your mispronunciation of a player last last uh, last week on the pod, so we'll we'll do better. We'll we'll work on that. Uh, was okay, it, was it Gorgiev or whatever? I, I think that's what I think that's who it was. <laughs> I I honestly I didn't I don't care. <laughs> I I don't I don't study the the de- the Detroit Red Wings depth chart. I'm I'm here to talk Preds hockey. Okay, so yeah. uh, real quickly on the goaltenders because I don't think there's a whole lot to say here. But at 29, Saros's contract is up. At that point, Connor Ingram would also be 29, and uh, Askarov would be 24. I don't. I can't see Ingram being around at that point, but I think Ingram could be going into free agency or or leaving the year before, and Askarov taking over maybe even in twenty four, twenty five, at twenty two or twenty three years old. So depending on how good he is, I think it's pretty clear. Like he's the guy. That's who they drafted. He's one of the best prospects in the world. I think I'd be shocked if he's not the starting goaltender heading into the twenty six, twenty seven season. Yeah, and I and in, in, in this scenario, and I've been saying this for the last year, year and a half. Well, almost basically since they drafted Askarov, I I don't think UC Saros makes it to the end of that contract. I think he gets traded probably in in year three. And I think it's because 
And I don't, I don't want to, I, I hate the building the hype train on the young prospects before they've ever played an NHL game, but just watching development camp and just watching some of his game tape, I, I think Askarov is the real deal. So I think you're, you're, and plus if UC Saros continues to play the way he played the last two seasons over the next two or three seasons, you could trade him at 28 to another team and get back a boatload of prospects. It just makes too much sense. Askarov should be ready. And the guy that I'm looking at, as kind of his backup around then. I think Connor Ingram might be able to stick around a year or two, but the fact that they went out and they got Kevin Lankin in shows me that they might not think <clears throat> that Ingram is ready to handle an NHL workload right now. So that makes me kind of question his long-term yeah. future. But I think the goalie, if we're going in-house, that would be the backup would be Tomas Vomachka. He would be 27 around 2026. He was a draft pick, I think, in 2018, played at UConn for a couple of years. Um, I think he's someone that they could they can bring in and kind of be a, a nice little backup goalie to Askarov. And what's interesting about Saros, them re, I mean, normally at 29, you might be like, okay, maybe you resign a goaltender, but not a guy I think at his, and this is where I'd, I'm being like a sizist here when it comes to goalies, but it, this guy's been playing hockey since he was 21 in the NHL. And again, not not he wasn't a starter, but you know, 20 plus games at 21, 26 games at 22, 31, 40, 36, and then up to 67 yes, last year. And if they use him at, let's say, 55 or 60 games for the next three seasons, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's got 400 games on his under his belt on a smaller frame who's going to be heading into his 30s. Like, that's not a player you normally would resign unless he is like a Hall of Famer, which maybe he is. I don't know. I doubt it. But it's, you know, that to me, I don't see him being re-signed. And I agree with you. The trade makes the most sense. The bottom line is, if Askarov is not the starting goaltender heading into that season, ideally with a year or two of preparation for that on the roster as either the backup or the half starter, I think I think something went wrong with his development, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. And and with with the with Ben Vanderklok and just the way that they they coach their goalies, I don't I don't foresee that happening unless Askarov just yeah. something catastrophic happens with him. But I think looking at it and I mean, Tim Thomas kind of proved debunked this a little bit in Pecorini to an extent, but usually 35 to 36 is when you see goaltenders start to go on the on the decline. You see stars when this contract ends, he'll be going into his his 30th year, not in the NHL, but just being alive. He'll be 30. And <laughs> that'd be a record. Yeah. And I, I think it just makes sense. Would you rather have a possible decade plus of Askarov or would you rather have four, maybe five more years of UC Saros being yeah. good to serviceable? So yeah. the, the trade route just makes the most sense. You're going to get back a boatload of prospects. And at that point, if you're rebuilding again, who knows? You, you could use some of those prospects to kickstart that rebuild. Well, and we've done the rebuild thing. He would be the number one piece you would move in a rebuild because you feel comfortable about what you've got coming up behind him uh, oh, if, sure. if, if they have to go that route. So, uh, all right, when we come back, we'll dive into the fun part of this, which is going to be the forward group, which is going to be completely bananas. So we'll do that when we come back right here on the Gold Standard. The Gold Standard is a podcast about the Nashville Predators, and it is brought to you by Jaspers. It is brought to you by Jaspers. It is. That's the fact, Michael. It is, in fact, who it is brought to you by. So go to Jaspers. The parking is free. Uh, Michael eventually will go at some point. The Gold Standard cocktail is there. You can order it. Uh, of course, they got you got preseason hockey games closer than people think, right? Like we're about a month and some change, six weeks away from the start of the preseason. Yeah, I mean, rookie is, camp and uh, and training camp are a couple weeks away. Yeah, it's it's going to be nuts. So uh, it'll be quicker. It'll be upon us quicker. Of course, if you got football games, tailgate parties, they've got the new menu for you there. So Jaspers.Restaurant, they've got the whole tailgate menu that they will deliver right to your party or your house, whatever it may be. Uh, again. 
a fajita bar. You got desserts. You got all kinds of stuff. Now, I don't know what you think Jasper's looks like five years from now, Michael. Like, I don't know what the menu looks like five years from now. Uh, I'm assuming it's like more plant-based stuff that's very healthy for us and smarter and delicious and with lots of fancy sauces and delicious dips and all kinds of awesome stuff. I, I don't I don't know if we ever as a society get away from like chicken wings and burgers, though. Yeah. I don't like they're just too good, even if, you know, <laughs> burgers, chicken, nachos. I feel like those are your kind of your bar food staples. Po- barbecue pork sweet potato fries like give me a break with that like i don't know how we can ever evolve beyond that but you know what jasper's is trying uh and the parking is still free i'm willing to pre- predict that five years from now the parking is still free i i'm hopeful of that that is i would what hope so because nothing pisses me off more than when we try to go out <laughs> to eat and then you go somewhere and they make you pay for parking as well as go inside and spend money uh, on overpriced food it's so stupid um and if you go over to west end you you know you kind of avoid uh you avoid all that stuff. You go over to yeah. West End and you got Jasper. Amerigo's right there attached to it. So you could just, you could bounce back and forth and spend money at both of them if you wanted to. Um, so go to Jasper's. The game room's over there. You got the air hockey table, the Papa shot. You got the dartboard, the shuffleboard table. You got the bar, the gold standard cocktail, the great menu, the free parking. It is spectacular. It's very real. Go check out Jasper's, everybody. I don't know what else we need to tell people. For a year and a half now, they've been a great sponsor and a partner in this show. And you guys have been going there and they've been delivering great food to you. Now they'll deliver it right to your house. Go to Jasper's, everybody. All right, let's start with the forward group and what we think this lineup could look like heading into the 26-27 season. And I guess I'll ask you first, before we get to the defense, defense, defensemen, um, who on the current roster do you believe is in the starting lineup still? And I think it's... I came up with four names that I feel pretty clearly are probably going to be in the starting lineup. Uh, three, I, I feel like for sure. Philip Tomasino will be 24. Yakov Trenin will be 29. And Tanner Janot will be 28. I would rank Tomasino and Janot as like locks. I would have Trenin as like probably. And I think Ellie Tolvanen at 26, if they just give him some time and are patient with him, he's either going to be traded right away or they're going to let him develop. And I, at 26 years old, like the guy still could be developing into the player he's supposed to be at that time. The question is, do they have time for that? Yeah. Are, are we including Philip Forsberg in that discussion? Oh, yes. Jesus. No movement clause. <laughs> he's not going anywhere unless he says. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I've got I've got Forsberg and Tomasino on the top line. So, yeah. As do I. So, uh, yeah, I think I think you're right on. I don't think Matt Duchesne comes back. I don't think Colton Sissons comes back. Um, I don't think Ryan Johansson comes back. And what's interesting is the season before this in 2025, Joachim Kemmel, Zachary, Zachary LaRue, Luke Evangelista all hit restricted free agency. So I think we keeping that in, in mind as well. But but I agree. Um, you want me to go through my, my lineup? Is, is Well, let's get to the. So here's the thing I, I learned in this process. And looking at all these pieces, because, again, those are the five I've got. Forsberg, Tomasino, Tolvin and Trenin, Janot. And oh, I want to ask I, you. I also have Cody Glass in there too. Uh, that's true. I've got I, I, now that I look at that, I've got Cody Glass on there as well. But he's the one I'd like to see them trade. But anyway, because um, I think this will land us a, a, in another place heading into the defenseman in just a second. Um, I'm curious what you think about Janot. Like, can Janot not be a top line forward? Like, I, I think a lot of people look at that line and they go, "All right, Trenton, Janot, Sissons. It's a good line. It's there. They do their job extremely well. They could score 60 goals this year." They're going to continue to get better with age, hopefully. Is this like, but why, why isn't Janot's upside like a top, top line winger? Why couldn't he be that guy too? 
I, I think he could be. I think the thing that kind of is working against him is he's so good on that herd line, the identity line, whatever you want to call it. He's so good on that big physical line that they're they're almost afraid to move him elsewhere. But we saw playing on a in a third line role, he had what was it, twenty four goals and forty one points. He was the, the rookie goal scoring le- leader. I think he's someone who could benefit from playing in a top six role. I think he could potentially a little bit of a stretch, but I think he could potentially get up to 28 to 30 goals, maybe 50, 60 points. But I think he's just, he's so good in the role that he plays. It's it's like, why mess with something that's not broken? Yeah, I, I, t- I tend to agree with that as well. I just wonder, because when I'm doing this and you start looking at top line talent, I think Tomasino has it. But like, do you want to see Tanner Janot for six straight years play on the third line? Like, I don't, I don't know. I think he's going to outgrow that. To Like my instinct says he's going to outgrow that. But I do have him penciled in with on the third line with Trenton, but I just like it's part, part of me is like, that's so good. Just leave it there. But part of me says there's no way that they stand still. If that, if that makes sense. Well, part of what makes that line so good is the fact that it's Trenton and Sissons and, you know, it's those three. They're probably the three best two way forwards on the team. They all play really good defensively. They can chip in offensively. They're physical. They're tough to play against. They're not going to be pushed off the puck. You're not going to win very many puck battles going up against those three. If you take Sissons out and you put someone else in, is, does that line still have the magic that it currently has? Yep, that's the question. Yep, I, I tend to I tend to agree with you. Now, I have Cody Glass in there as a third line center on that group. Where do you have Cody Glass? I have Cody Glass as the second center. Oh, okay. Because this is what I this is what we have to almost start this entire conversation with. If all those guys are not going to be part of the team, I have no clue who's the top line center. I Igor yeah. Afanasyev. Luke Evangelista, Svechkov, Parsonen—they're all quality two-way. Some of them have different different skills. Like some of them are bigger and more physical. Of course, Afanasyev and Parsonen are bigger and more physical. Svechkov is a little bit more scoring. You know, Evangelista wore the captaincy for his teams in the past, so like he could be a guy. The question is: Is any of them good enough upside-wise to be a number one centerman? And that is my question. And I think that is the biggest question surrounding the future of this organization is do they have that guy in the farm system? If not, we're, we're going to get to the defense core in a second because they're going to have to make some trades. The question is, how do they go out and fill that number one center role? Because I'm not sure they've got one of those guys in the pipeline right now. Yeah, the only two guys I think that are either on the roster or in the pipeline that could potentially have first line center potential are Philip Tomasino and Cody Glass. Both of them are big wild cards. I don't want to rush Tomasino up to the top of the lineup. I, I think penciling him in this year for a second line role, it, it will be a good kind of measuring stick of where he's at. But you look at 2026, he'll be 25 at the time. You would think by then he would grow into the goal scorer you expect him to become. He was drafted as a centerman. I know they played him out on the wing, and the Predators love taking their centers and moving them out to the wing. But I think Tomasino <laughs> is probably better suited to play center. So what that he's that's the reason why I put him as my number one center. I, I with a, okay. a little bit of a, a question mark because putting that, those kind of expectations on a, on a 24, 25 year old is, is obviously a little bit unfair. But Cody Glass is also the other guy that I think could potentially be that. Um, obviously, he was taken sixth overall by Vegas. So he, at once upon a time, he was looked at as an elite kind of yeah. first line center. But the results just haven't been there. So I'm still kind of. Depending on the jury's out on that, depending on how this year goes for him, if he if he reaches his potential sometime in the next two or three years, I could see him filling that role, which is why I put Tomasino first, Glass second, just because I think Tomasino has more of an upside as a as a true number one center. I I you know who I'd love, and I don't. He's not a centerman, so he's not going to play. I would love to see Tanner Janot on the top line as a center. I just don't think he's got the skill set to do it. But like, man, give me. 
give me give me that dude alongside Forsberg and Tomasino with those three. I mean, that's just he's just gonna bang heads around. Like it's just it's honestly. If if we get to 2026 and Roman Yossi's defensive skills have have waned a little bit, give me Roman Yossi as a first line center. He has <laughs> right now as a defenseman, he has better oh, puck okay. handling ability than most of the forwards on this roster. So if you had to pick one inside the 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 farm system, Igor Athanasiev, Parsonin, uh, Evangelista Svechkov, which one has the best chance to be your number one center? Just a prospect, not not Glass or Tomasino. Out of all those guys, I would say Svechkov because the other three are actually wingers. So okay, they've all played a little bit. Of, I mean, they've kind of all played a little bit of both. But yeah, but they they move them around, and they did the same thing with Craig Smith and Colin Wilson. They took natural centers and moved them to the wing and messed up their careers. I think you keep like I have Afanasiyev and Parson and Evangelista on my roster, but they're all in the wing. I think Svechkov is the only guy that they truly have right now that was drafted as a center that can play center. And I have him as my third center, centering that trend in Ingenoe line because I think he plays a similar game to Colton Sissons, but he's got a little more, a little more upside offensively with goal scoring ability. So I've got Forsberg, Svechkov, Tomasino as my top line. That's what I've got with a giant big hole in question mark at center. Because <laughs> um, again, I don't see a, I don't see a top line center in the, in this group here. Well, we have two um, of the three same t- on the top line. My top line is Forsberg, Tomasino, and Evangelista. And that could be that could be possible. Man, <clears throat> I was I was I was moving Evangelista into play center, but maybe that's wrong. Maybe I'm wrong with that. Um, I had Larue watching him the way he plays. It's the same thing with Matt Duchesne. I know Matt Duchesne is a natural centerman, but we saw this last season. He is his skill set is better suited for the, the greater freedom that is on the wing, and I think Luke Evangelista is very similar. So I All think right. moving him to center would just would just kind of derail his career. So I've got that's possible, which means I probably need to move Glass up to the second line center and say I've got Larue. Glass Tolvanen on the second line again. Assuming at twenty six, Tolvanen has turned into the player we all thought he was going to be. Okay, I, I could see that. I, I in my scenario, I didn't. I don't have Ellie Tolvanen still on this team. I think yeah. this is the year that kind of makes or breaks his future with this team. And I think he. I still. I still have hope. Again, the kid's twenty three. I still have hope he could turn into an, a really good player. I just don't think it's going to happen here. What I see happening with Tolvanen is what I see it. What happened with Kevin Fiala? You get frustrated. You trade him. He goes to another team, he explodes, turns into the goal scorer that you wish you would have had right now, and then you regret not figuring out a way yeah. to properly. So why so why do that? Just keep him. Because because he's not going to reach that development with his coaching staff. <laughs> well, that 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 may be true. I, I here's the thing. I want LaRue playing with either Tomasino or Tolvanen because I need there needs to be some edge to that line. Because Tolvanen and Tomasino are the snipers. You need somebody that's gonna knock some people around. So I've got that's why I've got LaRue up there on that second line. Also, he's got the talent. Uh he'll be he'll be 22 at the time. Evangelista will be 24. Afanasiev will be 24. Glass will be 27. Svechkov 22. So all these guys could be coming into their their careers, you know, the year before or into this season. And then Parson will be a little over older. He's he's 24. So uh, I have Janot Glass trending on the third line. Uh, if you want to, you know, tell me who you got there. Yeah. So my, my second line, we had we had kind of a similar thought in building the line. You want you want to kind of balance with physicality and with scoring. So my second line is Afanasiev, Glass, and Kemmel. I think Kemmel's the okay. wild card because he'll be the youngest. He's he's he'll be 22 then. But I think just with the upside that he's flashed and how good of a goal, pure goal score he could be. I think in four years he could be ready. I think Cody Glass is, is kind of the, the Mikhail Granlund of, of that line. Um, and I think Afanasiev is kind of what you he, – he's he's built in the same power forward kind of mold of James Neal and Philip Forsberg. I think, I think he brings a little bit of physicality. And he even said at development camp, the coaches – 
the one thing that they they got they focused on him working on was playing meaner. They're like, you're always happy, you're always smiling. You need to play with more of an edge, which is I think that's why his goal scoring numbers and his point total were down from what was expected of him because he was working on rounding out the, the defensive part of his game. So I think Afanasyev is the perfect power forward on the second line, okay. glass centering them, and Kemmel could be the wild card on the right wing. Okay, I, I I've got so I've got it's funny I've got Afanasyev and Kemmel on the bottom line. Uh, just because I'm sort of like at, at 21, I'm sort of banking, giving him a little, giving Joe Kim Kemmel a little bit of time to kind of get there. Uh, my question is, who do you think could play center more likely, Avanasiyev or Parsonen? Which one do you think could play center? Uh, I'd probably go Avanasiyev just because he's more of a he's more creative and probably more of a playmaker than Parsonen is. Could you see a Parsonen Avanasiyev Kemmel fourth line? Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, there's a lot of wingers to work with here, and this is the good yeah. news. So let's start with the good news, which is that there is a lot of talent in the farm system that if you write down this, if you start this exercise, you are going to write down at least six or seven names and feel comfortable with a, a chunk of these guys probably being in the starting lineup at this time. Afanasiev, Kemmel, Evangelista, LaRue, Glass, Svechkov, and Parsonen. Odds are that two, if not three of them, will be traded. And this includes Tolvin and frankly, as well. So the yeah. question is, what do you need to go get? And it's obvious that a top line center could be the top priority. But, and I don't know if you're ready to move on from <laughs> the forwards yet. <laughs> well, here, I'll, I'll give you my third and my fourth line too. Okay, so yeah, my go third for line it. is Trenin, Svechkov, and Janot. My fourth line, I have Parsonen and LaRue on the wing. And the center, I left blank because I don't feel like that's someone that's promoted from within. I think that could be a free agent signing or someone like that. Yeah, you go I get want to include... With the exception of the top line of Forsberg, Tomasino, and Evangelista, lines two through four are mostly interchangeable. Like you could slot Trenton and Janot in that line up to the second line. You can right. move Parson and Leroux up to the second line. Afanasiev and Kemmel and Glass could be your fourth line. Like yep. two through two, three, and four are very fluid. Like I don't, I'm not married to having any of them in a certain situation. I think the key here is, and this brings us to the, the defense core, which again, before we get to that, uh, reminder, of course, everybody that the gold standards brought to you also by Weiss Liquors. So make sure you go check out Weiss Liquors. You've got uh, Uber Eats there. Just search for Weiss Liquors on the Uber Eats app, and they will ship the booze directly to your house. I guess if your office, if you want to, if you're that risky, you can send it to your office. I guess, but send it to your house. They'll do the driving, so you can do the drinking. If you go into Weiss Liquors, they'll give you 10% off. If you just say 440, they've been locally owned, independent, family-run business in Nashville for almost 100 years. Go support local business folks. So go check out Weiss Liquors as well as Jasper's. So that brings us to the defense core, which to me says, of these six or seven guys we just talked about in the forward group, I am assuming that UC Soros and at least two of them are going to have to be used to pick a defenseman or acquire defenseman prospects because right now you've got Yossi going into 35 or 36 years old on the team at this point. If you have still Fabro, who, who would only be 27, that's still a valuable asset. Alex Carrier would be 29, also not super, super young, any of those three guys. There's nobody else, Michael. There's nobody else that is assured a spot on this team that's in the pipeline that gets you excited. Yeah. They are going to have to acquire defense prospects at some point through the draft and probably through trade. And I think that's probably the first time in the history of this franchise that that's ever been said. But so the way I have my, my defensive group shaking out, my top pairing is Yossi and Carrier. Yossi being 36, Carrier being, Carrier being 29. That's a little bit older than you'd like. I kept Ekholm around and I paired him with Fabro because okay. I think by, by that time, unless Fabro was traded, which I'm not trying to rush him out the door, JJ, but <laughs> if Fabro is traded in, in that time, that obviously changed. But, but I think, 
I have confidence in the kid that he can turn it around and he can develop into into who they thought they were getting when they drafted him. So I think Ekholm and Fabro the second pairing. The third pairing, I kept Jeremy Lozon around just because they re-signed yeah. him to that, that four-year deal, and they obviously view him as a piece of the future. And looking around, I couldn't, like, I don't think Borvietsky is going to be around. And I'm, I'm sure they don't really have anyone in the pipeline no. that is a true, solid no. uh, NHL defenseman. So I put Spencer Stastny in there just because I think out of all their defensive prospects, he's probably the best. He played at Notre Dame. Um, he's someone that that they've had in the in the in the system for a couple of years, but I mean Ryan Ufko, that's the, that's really the only other Luke Prokop. Those are the only other two defensive yeah. prospects that I could think of. Prokop could he's got the size and the skating ability. I think he could yeah. be a pretty good third pairing, but it's just such a wild card with with the defensive prospects. You really don't know what's going to happen. And, and I was doing this exercise, kind of digging through all the prospect lists over the last five five to eight months, just looking at experts and where they kind of ranked people and. I mean, you go you go back to even just like March and February, and there's a lot of lists that have like number three David Ferentz, number six Jeremy Davies, and you're just like, if 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 many smart people believe that these two guys were top ten prospects, and now we're looking at this farm system and saying, and again, maybe this was David Poyle going, you know what? I've got four years. I've got Fabro and Carrier who are young. I've got Ekholm, McDonough, and Yossi who are veterans. I've got at least five good players. Now I've got Lausanne. I just acquired at at age 24, basically. I've got six guys that I don't need to worry about for at least two seasons, if not a third season and maybe four. Uh, maybe that's what the strategy is, is he just goes, look, I'm going to stockpile forwards and talent uh, uh, on the front of the offense and see how much we can develop and then see who needs to be moved and and sort of put off the the defenseman issue till later, I guess. I don't that's the only strategy yeah. I can come up with. And when I did my, when I did, and I granted I'm not Corey Pronman or Steve Wheeler or anything like that, but when I did my prospect rankings last year, I think I had David Ferentz ranked like third or fourth, and I had Jeremy Davies like sixth or seventh. They, yeah, they were two guys that I thought figured into the future. And looking at Scott Wheeler's prospect rankings um, at the beginning of this year, he had David Ferentz I think at six, and the only other the only other defenseman he has ranked in the top ten for the Predators is Ryan Ufko. And uh, granted, they have Anton Olson. Um, who else do they have? Semyon Shishyakov. I don't know how to say that. Adam Willsby, um, Mark Del Gaizo, Spencer Stastny. So they, they do have depth there, but the problem is none of those guys are on the level of prospect that Roman Yossi was, that Ryan Suter yeah. was, yeah. that Seth Jones was. Yep. Yeah, they don't they don't have the traditional predators guy there. Um and and that to me, like I don't where where do you so to me, these these are my three questions. We can kind of wrap this up with I think they're in a good position. I think they're in a good spot with talent and depth in the pipeline at the forward position. A couple of young pieces on the team already that feel like they're capable of being there. They're good at the goalie spot. Uh, to me, the three that I have written down, and you tell me how you would rank them, that are the biggest questions is they need a top four defenseman. And you kept at home. I don't think that's good enough for a cup, but let's just, uh, I can see the disagreement there. Top four defenseman, a first line center, and a head coach. Those are the those are the big three that I think by this time going into 2026 that they need to have those three questions answered because I think the rest of the questions you can find you can kind of see some answers matriculating through the pipeline if that makes sense. Yeah, so it's such a tough question. Um, I would I'd probably go head coach one. Top four defenseman two top line center three just because i feel like you can skate by well not skate by i mm. think philip tomasino can be a serviceable number one center or cody glass or potentially svechkov i think you have 
better in-house options to fill your your one center role than you do your top four defensemen. So I would I would put defensemen, I would rank defensemen as a bigger priority. But I think head coach is probably going to be the biggest priority because as we've seen with Peter Laviolette and now with John Hines, if you don't have the right system or the right guy coaching the, the players, like you're not yeah. going to have success. So I think that's probably that would, that's probably how I would rank up those three. I've got top four defensemen at number one. I my problem with the first line center, I agree with you, there are more potential options. And unless somebody goes full Tanner's, you know, on their development process, I don't like you need a superstar somewhere on your top two as a center to win a cup. Like you just look at the teams that win cups and they have superstars. They have dominant players, whether it's Jonathan Taves or Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid. Like it doesn't matter. Like you have like you got to have a you got to have a stud. Uh, you know, Boston, Tampa, like these teams have studs, Colorado, like two studs. You got to have studs at the center position at the top line, like not Hall of Fame level, but close. And I'm not that's my concern is they don't have that guy anywhere. Now, that is why they went out and paid and bought and traded for with Seth Jones and gave him sixty four million dollars to Ryan Johansson because they've never had that guy. And he's the only guy that's really ever been that guy. And now he's now he's the second line center behind Mikhail Granlund. <laughs> well, I will say with this exercise going into 2026, you could trade UC Saros and have that number one center. That's true. I agree. You could also package one or two of LaRue, Evangelista, Afanasiev, Svechkov, and, and bring back a number one center as well. And I will throw out there the 2026 free agent class. This is, this oh, is stop keeping, it. Stop it. This is keeping in mind if, if these guys hit the open market. Connor McDavid, uh, Jack Eichel, and Kevin Hayes will all be free agents. And also, <laughs> if you're looking for top six forwards, Artemi Panarin, Kirill Kaprizov, Kyle Connor, Patrick Laine, Alex Tuck will all be free agents. Also, if you're looking for a top four defenseman, Kale McCarr will only be 27, and 2026 will be on the market if he's not resigned. Is Sam Girard available? Can they go get him? Um, so you know what? I would go after Sam Girard. It still eats he, me up that they traded Girard and kept Fabro just because I feel like Girard will have the better career. Well, and Girard was more game ready at the time, so maybe that's why they got more in return. Here's what I would say: Soros for a number one center, two of these forwards for a top four defenseman. That that's how. That's how I would predict it shaking out, that you get a center and a top four defenseman with Soros and two of those seven forward prospects. Pick yeah. pick the two that you think are, you know, are, are going to give you the most return without hurting your team. Um, that's sort of how I feel it, how, it, how it's going to play out. So there you go. That, that, route, was, that was fun. That route makes sense. And also, if David Poyle is not in charge, I think it's easier to see those moves being made because whoever the new general manager is won't be as tied to these prospects yep. as David yep. Poyle is. That makes total sense. Make sure you go listen to It's All Your Fault from the Nashville Scene and the Nashville Post with you, Michael Gallagher, and Megan Selling. Of course, all over the scene in the Post and everywhere you get your podcast. Make sure you check out, of course, Jaspers uh, over there in West End, the next evolution of the sports bar, and Weiss Liquors, of course, over here in East Nashville, uh, right there on Main Street, right there down by downtown. They'll ship liquor right to your door. Uber Eats, search Weiss Liquors. It'll come right to your house in as quickly as 20 minutes. Uh, it's fantastic. So go check it out. Jaspers, Weiss Liquors, Scene, Post, 440. Thank you for hanging out with us, Michael Gallagher. Where can people find you? The Nashville Scene and the Nashville Post and on Twitter at MGSports underscore. And you can follow me, Braden Gall, at Braden Gall on the Twitter machine as well. Thank you for listening. Thanks for hanging out with us. We're not going anywhere. we got a lot of fun stuff planned for you guys, again, on both podcasts. So check them both out. Get the, get the subscribe button there smashed. We do appreciate it. Again, thank you guys for listening. Have a great weekend. This has been the Gold Standard here from the 440 Sports Network.